guys, and welcome to True Crime Girl Time. I'm Ansley. And I'm Brittany. And this is episode 10. Is it 10? I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah, we talked about last week how it was going to be episode 10 next. Yeah, I know. It's but... finally episode 10. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to remember things that happened last week. <laughs> true, true. But, um, what was I going to say? Shit. I'm not sure. <laughs> Shit. Oh, it feels like we've been doing this podcast a lot longer than 10 episodes. Yeah, it does. Oh, sorry. I bumped the mic. You're fine. What? Why we're am I We're still doing this remotely this week. Yeah, we're still doing it remotely. It's Easter weekend. We have a lot still going on. Yeah. The entire I also month have, of April. Yeah. So, like, my law school finals start next um, week and then continue until, like, freaking May 8th or something like that. So... I'm like trying to do all my studying and stuff and it, it just the balance of like all of the holidays and yesterday was my sister's birthday and all the studying Happy that birthday, I'm supposed to do for finals. Yeah. Um it's just really like it's hard to squeeze in time. So hopefully after my semester is over we'll be back to you know your the normal schedule yeah your regularly scheduled programming here's the thing though we didn't have to take two hours to set this up today we didn't honestly it was literally like five minutes oh it's so wonderful yeah didn't have to do all that okay so do we have any announcements that we need to talk about or anything administrative ah i don't think so we hasn't uh, really been much going on except for us just recording yeah, we've gotten some good reviews recently, so thank you guys for those. I saw that. That's nice. I saw that this morning. There was two new reviews, um, and I was really excited about that. Some people still hate us, but it's okay. <laughs> hate us, make us famous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if we're not at least hated by some people, we're doing something wrong. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, let's talk. You want to talk? Like, tell my story first? I want to talk about murder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I so can So let's go. talk about some murder. All right. I'm ex- I'm super excited for my story. I'm really excited. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you might not be excited. I don't know how you feel about this story, but I personally... It's murder. It is I murder. Mean. I know. But you know, like some some stories you find more interesting than others. Like yeah, some, true. Some murder stories are just like, meh. Whatever. I don't care about that. I mean, not that I don't... I'm the worst anyway. Yeah, but sometimes you hear it so much and you're just like... Eh. Yeah. Okay. And can I say a- something? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Before you start, I know that I was harping big last week on Gypsy Rose, but I do want to say something. I watched the act this yeah. week. And oh my God. I knew the story. I knew it from like start to finish, but mm-hmm. I watched it and the acting is so good. It was so good. Yeah, because I think her, I think the actress's name is Joey King. Yes, she yes. is really fantastic. It was so like, good. I was very very pleased. With yeah, that. um, I don't think I'm gonna watch it just because. Oh, you need to. You need to. I know. Like I didn't want to watch <laughs> it, but I was up at four in the morning because my cat likes to wake me up because she's oh my gosh. AF. Yeah, she, like, sits at my door and, like, cries for me. I'm like, dude, I'm trying to sleep here. It's 4 in the morning. But anyway, so I woke up, and I was like, I just need to watch something to try to put me back to sleep, which that is not something to put you back to sleep. 
I was I so just, wrong about that. Yeah, no. Well, that, I guess that's like, part, so like last night I went to sleep watching the new Beyonce documentary and I didn't even make oh it past the God. beginning. I didn't even make it past like the beginning of the Coachella performance. I mean, I watched the Coachella performance after it happened, but yeah. um, like I watched it on the whole thing on YouTube because I was like, <laughs> how else am I going to watch it? Because obviously <laughs> I've never been to Coachella, <laughs> probably never yeah. will be at Coachella. Um, uh, goals but so I was like "Ooh, I really want to watch it because that performance was so good and I was like laying in bed last night turned it on my eyes started closing and I was like you know Here what, say, I'm sorry girl I'm tired <laughs> I gotta get my beauty sleep but um, yeah I knew like when I was choosing what to watch to go to sleep last night it was not going to be about murder or else I would have had a nightmare because mm. I'm a little baby I can watch murder shows. Well, not alone. I have to be by myself or like with someone to watch it before I go to bed. Otherwise, I get really scared too because I'm just by myself with my cats. Um, yeah. The other reason why I feel like I probably won't watch the act though is I just said the act without a T. Ooh, who am I? The act. Who I'm let us podcast? We say this every single week, but who let us podcast? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, someone shut us down. Anyway, uh, don't so, really, but we're doing pretty good. <laughs> we like to do this, so, you know, whatever. Um, but no, I think another reason why I won't watch it is because all of the people on my Facebook recently who have watched it, about it have put in their two cents, which you're entitled to do. That's what yeah. Facebook is. I mean, I mean, that's not really what Facebook is there for. You're there to like connect with people. <laughs> like Facebook is there so you can connect to people, but you can also post your opinions. That's fine. But all I keep, like all these people keep posting, like Gypsy Rose should not be in prison. She should have murdered her mother. Mm-hmm. Like she went through so much. And yeah, she did. She was, you know, basically tortured like her entire life. You need but, to watch it though. You really, but, really do. I think I, it puts I like might. A, I don't know. It's just all the people that are like spouting their opinions about, yeah. without really considering like how it's murder. How serious murder is? Like, I no, know. I'm sorry. When you murder someone, you go to prison. <laughs> That's yeah. how it works. And, I know. I and feel honestly, like there was a lot sucks. of alternative things that she could have done than murder her mom. Yeah. But like, I, yeah. I, I, I think that like, the fact that the act actually puts like a lot of like you're really drawn to like sympathize with her i think it puts like that perspective of like poor pitiful me like all this stuff was happening to me because i don't know i don't want to ruin ruin it for people that haven't watched it but i think that's probably why that's happening i don't know it it might be and i mean honestly she really she really did go through some stuff oh it's not a movie no it's episodes I thought it was a movie. No, it's episodes. Oh. It's really good. It's really, really good. If anything, watch it for the acting. Yeah, I do love Joey King, but uh I think that's her name. If I'm if it's it not, is. then I'm gonna feel it really is. stupid. Okay. Um there uh what Gypsy Rose is actually or I don't know the validity of this because I didn't actually read the article. I'm being that kind of person that saw uh like a title of an article and was like, Oh, okay. Um, but there have been articles going around that Gypsy Rose is suing for that I movie. That. I and I'm that. like, okay, why? Yeah. And she also said like one of her friends, I think, 
I'll probably be wrong, but I think her name is Aaliyah. And one of her friends is like portrayed as like her best friend in the movie. And that like Gypsy like looked up to her and stuff like that. And I think there was a part of Gypsy that really didn't like her, that she was more controlling <laughs> than anything. So I, I think I'm pretty sure that's what I read about it, but I might be wrong. Um, uh, I just like, girl, don't like, why even worry about it? Like you're in prison. She, just, yeah. You know, and she got engaged. Did you see that? She got engaged. Yes. This week, or last oh week. My Lord. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I saw Enough it. Enough about Gypsy Rose. I know I talk about her all the time. But I just thought the acting was good. So if anything, just watch it for the acting. Yeah. Um, okay. That was a really long tangent. <laughs> We're back. We're back from it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, anyway. Guys. So I guess kind of like on the same topic of like. I guess, you know, well, the act isn't really like a documentary. It's more of like a. It's a reenactment. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like a retelling. But um, there has been a documentary. There actually was a movie about this case, too. About the case that you're about to tell? Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. Do you want to guess? (laughs) Will you give me a hint? Can you give me a hint? Um, Wait, is it, is it Ted Bundy? No, it's not Ted Bundy. Okay. Okay. It Give is a well-known hint. case, but it's not Ted Bundy. Give me a hint. Uh, f- female. Female. There's so There's many females a- in the world. <laughs> She's a... Well, okay. So, well, these are the hints you have already. She's okay. female. Uh, there is a documentary and a movie about her. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not a good guesser. I'm really okay. not. Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> the anticipation. But, <laughs> but anyway, I'm so excited about this story uh, because a lot of people know the story, but I feel like a lot of people don't know the background and, like, everything that she went through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like... I, feel I keep like on the, thinking that you're going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the justice system kind of did her dirty like i feel like the justice system and everyone in her life really failed her oh i'm so i'm I'm gonna tell you guys the story of eileen (gasps) warno no freaking way yes no freaking way yeah okay oh my god It's, it's one of my favorite cases and this is the one that like last week when I was saying like this is the one that I have to tell, but oh I did I didn't I say it when we had that conversation that. that one day. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Um, side note: I actually so we talked about my favorite murder last week, but I actually went to one of their podcasts. I drove from Georgia or from Atlanta to Orlando in like one day to go see their podcast and like at a live event, and that was the story that they told. And oh I really? Like, oh my god! So I'm really I don't, excited. I don't think they never aired that one. Yeah, they did. They did. Oh, they did. Oh, I yeah. didn't listen to it. Yeah, they did. Um. Okay. So. All right. Eileen was born on February 29th, nineteen fifty-six, in Rochester, Michigan. Her mother was fifteen years old when she gave birth to her. Hmm. It feels, so, it feels so weird to be telling 
murder stories again since I feel like we haven't done it in a long time. We have not done it in a long time. <laughs> like, it almost feels uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> anyway. So, <laughs> so much pressure. I know. I'm like, I'm doing terrible already. <laughs> Great. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Okay. So, um, Eileen never met her dad because he was in prison for raping and attempting to murder a seven-year-old girl. What? He was a also bag. Right. He was also schizophrenic. And was convicted of sex crimes against, like, other children, not just that seven-year-old girl. So he was in and out of prison. And he finally hanged himself in prison in 1969. Mm. So she never met her dad. Um, Probably good that she didn't. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Uh, So in January 1960, when Eileen was almost four, her mom abandoned her and left her with her grandparents. So her mom's parents. Um, Lori and Britta, which I was like, that is so close to my name. It's literally two letters <laughs> away from my name. Anyway, um, and they legally adopted uh, Eileen and her brother in March 1960, so like a couple months later. Okay. When Eileen was 11, she started engaging in sexual activities in school, like in exchange for cigarettes and drugs and food and things like that. So basically, she would pay for things with sex, which is, I mean, like mm, the cigarettes, like clearly controversial thing. I know it's like, so like doing it for cigarettes and drugs, like mm-hmm. obviously that's a problem, but like where, where like it upsets me is that she was doing it for food, something you need to survive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, she also would, like do sexual things with her brother (gasps) which is like that's all i have to say on that but yeah (sighs) that's just another that's another story for another time it's just another messed up part of the story so eileen also said that she was sexually assaulted and beaten by her grandfather as a child and her grandfather was also an alcoholic so there's just a lot of family abuse and like it's just not a great situation, really. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Eileen, before her grandfather would beat her, he would force her to take all of her clothes off, which is so disgusting. It's not even funny. That's so disgusting. I mean, how can somebody, like, expect somebody to turn out okay after all of that happens to them? You know what I mean? There, There has to be some form of, like, mental trauma, and I don't know. You just can't expect them to come out normal from that. That's And that's kind of why I chose to tell this story because I think that these background details are, like, just really important to her story and why everything ended up the way that it did. Yeah. So, okay. So, in 1970, when Eileen was 14, she got pregnant after being raped by her grandfather's friend. <sighs> Also disgusting. Lots of terrible things happening to Eileen. Hmm. She gave birth to that child at a home for unwed mothers. And then that child was um, placed for adoption. Okay. Then a few months later, Eileen dropped out of school. And around the same time, her grandmother died of liver failure. So Eileen and her brother became wards of the court. And at, like, this part kind of confused me because it says they became wards of the 
court. But then it also said at 15, her, I think maybe these might be switched, whatever. I don't know. So it also said at 15, her grandfather kicked her out of the house. And so basically she was supporting herself by working as a sex worker and she started living in the woods near her old home. And I remember specifically like in the documentary that I watched about Eileen, they showed like where in the woods she was living and it was just down the street from like where, like the house that she had lived in, which I was like, I mean, there's a house that she could live in right there, but she got kicked out of it and now she's in the freaking woods. I don't know. I just, I hate that she didn't even feel comfortable to go back home to that house you know what I mean yeah I I just hate every part of her her like early childhood it sucks her criminal career started super early as everyone could probably assume so I'm just gonna go through like all of her basically her rap sheet pretty much um because like she had a pretty long rap sheet before she even started killing people so uh, May 1974, she's 18 years old. She's arrested in Colorado for a DUI, disorderly conduct, and firing a 22 caliber ca- ooh, caliber pistol from a moving vehicle. And then she was later charged with failure to appear because she didn't show up in court, which is like, uh, why? the easiest thing to do is go to court. Mm-hmm. You don't even really have to do anything except for listen. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, two years later, 1976, um, Eileen was hitchhiking in Florida when she met a 69 year old yacht club president. His name was Lewis Fell and they got married that same year. And when it said that same year, I thought that it meant like, you know, maybe they met at the beginning of that year and they got married like at the end of that year. No, it, it means like literally like <laughs> a they month or two and they later. Got <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, they met. So, she met him, and she was already like in a wedding dress, basically <laughs> hitchhiking in a wedding dress. <laughs> so during their marriage, Eileen was always getting into com- confrontations at local bars, and she even eventually went to jail for assault. She also hit fell with his own cane. Uh, so great, <laughs> I know. <laughs> So he took out a restraining order against her. Um, so after that happened, she went back to Michigan, uh, July 14, 1976, and she was arrested and charged with assault and disturbing the peace for throwing a cue ball at a bartender's head. Eileen, Eileen, Eileen. Why is it, what is that her weapon of back. choice? That would seriously... No, she's resourceful. She's just like, whatever is near me, guess what? I am throwing it. I'm throwing it right at your face. Um, so, this isn't really, like, part of her criminal thing. It's just, like, a, a side note. Um, on July 17th, her brother died of esophageal cancer, and she got $10,000 from his life insurance. That was just, like, thrown in there in that timeline. So, I just wanted to mention it because... Like, she had $10,000. You know, she probably could have, like, done something productive with that, but she did not. She just wanted to kill people instead. Uh, well, we're not... She's not killing people yet. Yeah, well, she's almost killing people. I mean, it's... I was it's, about to say, it's that a does, up to that. <laughs> yeah, it happens shortly, though. So, uh, July 21st, 
Eileen and Phil annulled their marriage after only nine weeks of marriage. Great. So, but the, I mean, that's longer than Kim Kardashian and what's his face. So, oh, yes. Oh, I always forget his name. Uh, Chris Humphreys. Yep. Ha, ah, got it. Uh, okay. So, have you seen, okay, side note, have you seen those like, those memes where it's like my toothpaste are, lasted longer than Kim and Chris? Yeah. Like, it's about like my bread lasted longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. Because what? It was like 72 days, right? Oh, shit. I just something. like hit something really loud. Yeah, it was very, very short. Yeah. So, uh, jumping forward to 1981, it is May 20th. Eileen is arrested in Edgewater, Florida. I think I've actually been there. For the armed robbery of a convenience store where she stole $35 and two packs of cigarettes. See, that's why I wanted to mention the part about her getting $10,000. Because I think she just went and, like, blew it. Yeah. Because now she's stealing $35. She probably could have just asked somebody for $35. She didn't have to, like, steal it. So, she was sentenced to prison on May 4th, 1982, I guess, for that May 20th crime, like, of the armed robbery. And she was released on June 30th, 1983. And then May 1st, 1984, she's arrested for attempting to pass forged checks at a bank in Key West. Then November 30th, 1985, she was named a suspect in the theft of a revolver and ammunition in Pasco County, which is the um, county in Florida that is on, uh, what's it called? The TV show. Oh, Live PD. Live PD. Oh my God. How did you forget that? (laughs) I don't, like, well, I don't have cable. We don't have cable at our house. Yeah. So I don't watch like live television. So I forget the names of live TV shows if it's not on Netflix. (laughs) So. Um, okay. So anyway, yeah, that's the county that's on live PD. Uh, so (laughs) anyway, (laughs) January 4th, 1986, Eileen is arrested in Miami and charged with grand theft auto, resisting arrest and obstruction of justice for providing identification with her aunt's name. And police found a 38 caliber revolver and a box of ammunition in the stolen car. She's about to kill somebody. (laughs) i'm just letting you know so a few months later in june she is detained for questioning after a male companion accused her of pulling a gun on him in his car and demanding two hundred dollars and eileen was found carrying spare ammunition and a 22 pistol was discovered under the passenger under the passenger seat that she was sitting in how can you argue that I don't know. Um, and so around this time, I, I I don't remember how to say this girl's name. And I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but whatever. Uh, around this time, Eileen met Tyria Moore. Mm-hmm. T-Y-R-I-A. Tyria? Yep, that's it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she met her at a Daytona gay bar. So um, they moved in together. And Eileen supported them with the money that she earned as a sex worker. Um, Tyria was a hotel maid. So she was also making money. But I think, obviously, uh, Eileen was probably bringing in more money as a sex worker. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, July 4th, 1987, Daytona police detained Eileen and Tyria at a bar 
they so that they could question them about an incident where they were both accused of assault and battery with a beer bottle. Jesus. So, so she again, just finds anything and everything thing. closest thing to her. Yeah. And then March 12, 1988, Eileen is accused. Oh, no, she's not accused. Sorry. She accused a Daytona Beach bus driver of assault, claiming that she pushed her off the bus following a confrontation. So that is pretty much her rap sheet up until uh, she starts killing people. So I, um, I, there's not much information on the murders themselves because they are not like super, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but they're pretty cut and dry murders. Mm-hmm. Like it's basically, I mean, I'm going to tell you, tell everyone about them, but um, there's kind of more information about um like procedurally like what happened yeah uh when she got arrested and like with the court and everything because that is kind of like i don't know they spent a lot they spent a lot of time on that in the documentary as well rather than the actual um murders because they're like there's just not much to them so um it's gonna kind of seem like i'm flying through the murders and it's because there's just not much there so the first one was uh november 30th 1989 uh the victim's name was richard mallory he was 51 he was an electronic store owner in clearwater florida and he was her um first victim and it said that he was a convicted rapist and she claimed to have killed him in self-defense uh two days later a volusia i'm probably not saying that right volusia county Whatever. I'm sure somebody will correct us. I'm sure someone will. It's a county in Florida. That's really all you need to know. Anyway, the sheriff there found uh, his abandoned vehicle, Mallory's abandoned vehicle. On December 13th, Mallory's body was found several miles away in a wooded area. He had been shot several times, but two bullets to the left lung were the cause of death. This was the murder that Warnus would eventually be condemned. (laughs) I told you she was going to murder people. Well, I think we all knew that. <laughs> so uh, say. this her, isn't a murder podcast or anything. It's not. This is it's just where we tell fun stories. Sorry, you just heard my dog. I don't even know what that noise was. <laughs> I didn't hear it. She just like grunted. <laughs> anyway. Oh Us and so, our animals. Second victim is David Spears. He was forty three. He was a construction construction worker i can't speak today construction worker in winter garden florida on june 1st 1990 his naked body was found along highway 19 in citrus county florida and he had been shot six times then uh charles Kars- uh he was age 40 um this was may 31st 1990 he was a part-time rodeo worker and on June 6, 1990, his body was found in Pasco County, Florida, and he had been shot nine times with a small caliber, caliber weapon. Then Peter, I'm not sure if it's Seams or Symes. I'm just going to say Seams because it's easier. Uh, he was 65. This was June 1990. Seams left Jupiter, Florida to go to New Jersey. On the 4th of July, his car was found in Orange Springs, Florida. Um, Tyria and Eileen were seen abandoning the car and, uh, Eileen's palm, like the, the print from her palm, like the palm of her hand was mm-hmm. found on the 
uh, door handle on the inside of the car, but his body was never found. Then Troy Burris, he was 50. He was a sausage salesman from Ocala, Florida. And on July 31st, 1990, he was reported missing. On August 4th, his body was found in a wooded area along State Road 19 in Marion County, Florida, and he had been shot twice. So what is this up to? How many how many murders is this up to? Can you count real quick or mm-hmm, I am I count. asking so too much? Mallory, <laughs> Mallory Spears, Car- Karskadin, oh Themes, Burris. So we're at five right now, and there's um, two more. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she was basically just like wreaking havoc, like all over Florida, pretty much. That's so crazy. Yeah. For no reason, really, though. Yeah, no. She claimed, um, I just remember this from the documentary. She was claiming that these were people who sexually assaulting her or raping her and that she was killing them in self-defense. And that's just not. I just. I don't, I don't want to say that, like, she's wrong because I wasn't there, but that many people, you know what I mean? Exactly. And I know when I say this, it's going to sound terrible and it's going to it's going to come out the way that I probably don't want it to. But she was she was a sex worker. So she was meeting up with these people to have sex with them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm then not, claiming I'm sexual assault. Right. I'm definitely 100 percent not saying that when sex workers go to meet up with people that they can't be sexually assaulted just because they're going to meet up with them for sex. I am a hundred percent not saying that, but it, the, the actual facts of this case are that those people were not doing that to her. Do you think that she, she was, was robbing she was them? Just, did you, you asked if she was robbing them? Yeah. Do you, was she robbing them? I mean, I'm sure she was. I don't, I don't think I have any details on her. Just a, Oh, just actually, a, no, I, yeah, she was robbing them. Okay, but I think I I don't think she was robbing them and then killing them. She was killing them and then just taking stuff like from their bodies. Yeah, see, that's where I'm like, you killed them to rob them. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Where it would be easier for you to obtain the things that you did. That's just my point of view. Yeah. So, um, her sixth victim. Charles Humphreys was 56. This was September 11th. Like Chris Humphreys? Charles. I know, but referring back to my Kim Kardashian oh, reference. I was like, did I say Chris? <laughs> my bad. That was a good callback. <laughs> okay, anyway. Sorry. Um, this one... This one upsets me. I mean, all deaths are sad. This, this person seemed to be... I don't know... I'll, I'll do, whatever. Anyway, so uh, he was 56. This is September 11, 1990. He was a retired U.S. Air Force major. He was a former state child abuse investigator. Mm. And I know that was the part that I was like, oh, he was doing the Lord's work. Yes. Um, and former he was also a former chief of police. So I, I'm not trying to say that, like, law enforcement officer deaths are more upsetting than you know, civilian deaths. I'm like, it's just, he was like, he was doing, he was doing good good work. Like he seemed like he was doing something that was contributing to society. So, um, on September 12th, 1990, his body is found in Marion County, Florida. He was fully clothed and had been shot six 
times in the head and torso. His car was found in Suwannee County, Florida. And then the last victim, his name was Walter Gino Antonio. He was 62 and he was a police reservist. And I uh, didn't Google that and I should have. I was about to say, what is that? <sighs> Dang it. I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> um, that's my bad. <laughs> Honestly, I think my eyes just glazed right over that part. <laughs> I just moved on. <laughs> like You're anyway. like, okay, next. <laughs> Honestly, like compiling all the information for this story was exhausting because there are so many details that by the time I got like down, I was like copy paste, copy paste, copy paste. <laughs> and most of the time I actually type everything out. But yeah. like <laughs> at, at this point, I was like, no, I can't. Because <laughs> um, there were just way too many details. I would have been up so late. Um, so November 19, November 19th, 1990. Sorry, there's a lot of nines. Yeah, um, it was. <laughs> Antonio's nearly naked body was found near a remote logging road in Dixie County, Florida, and he had been shot four times. Five days later, his car was found in Brevard County, Florida. I don't know why they have the most difficult county names. <laughs> Okay, anyway, Damn so that's it, all. Florida. <laughs> you guys are ridiculous. <laughs> you guys suck. So, um, but also, like, if you guys want us to do a live show in Florida, we'd be more than happy to I go to one so. of your ridiculously named counties. We'll actually um, pronounce it right. I promise I'll figure out what it's called. <laughs> so, um, that's all the murders. Now we get into, um, I guess, more of the details, like, after the murders. And uh, basically, like, trial and stuff like that. So, and, well, and her arrest. So, um, as I previously mentioned, so on July 4th, when they were abandoning Seam's car, Mm -hmm. um, witnesses saw the women driving the car and gave the police. I I don't know how they gave the police their names. It said they gave the police their names. But I'm like, how do you see someone and know their name? Yeah, 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 yeah. But whatever. Well, maybe she was in the news so much from doing all that crazy shit that, like, people just recognized her. I don't know. It's possible. But it also said that they gave descriptions. So, I don't know. Um, And that started a media campaign to find both Eileen and Tyria. And police also found some of the victims' belongings in um, pawn shops and got fingerprints matching those found in the victims' cars. They were like matching the fingerprints. Basically, they were they were getting ready to get her. They were like on her trail. Um, they were on to her. They had her. They not had like she all was the evidence. Yeah, it's not like she was really trying to cover her tracks. Yeah, I don't way. think she really cared. Just sounds like. like you know, touching every part of the inside of a victim's car and then just leaving it somewhere. Stupid. Um, not that she should have gotten away with this. I'm just saying. <laughs> she gave no shits. None. No shits. So, um, of course, Eileen had a criminal record in Florida. So, of course, her fingerprints were on file. <laughs> so, basically, they were like, all right, we got these fingerprints. There they are <laughs> in the system. These are Let's go get Eileen. <laughs> so, uh, on January 9th, 1991, Eileen was arrested on an outstanding warrant at a biker bar in Florida. You know, I really feel like if Eileen hadn't been a murderer and had, like, a bunch of psychological like psychological issues from her childhood she would have been a hoot dude i yeah it sounds like i could have partied with eileen but she had to go killing some people 
mean, it's yeah, just cool to she, be friends you know, she with had her. to have a shitty childhood and like be abused and stuff. And then, you know, I know you end up how you end up. So, but I was just like, you know, she was always out at bars. Like she would have been at like PBR in Atlanta, like riding the bull drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She would have been great. Minus all the cue ball throwing, but whatever. So, um, Obviously, police were also looking for Tyria because they were like, well, she was with her when she abandoned the car. And so uh, she or police located Tyria the next day in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So cue the office intro. I don't know if you watch The Office. Do you watch The Office? I don't. I don't. Oh, watch the <laughs> they're in Scranton, Pennsylvania. So <laughs> I was just when, like, I, when I wrote that, I was oh, like, okay. I, like, started, like, humming the um, intro to The Office as I was doing these notes. I love The Office. It's great. Tyria agreed to get a confession from Eileen in exchange for (laughs) prosecution. Why can't I say this word? This happens every single time. Prosecutorial immunity. So Tyria Tyria went back to Florida with police and was put up in a motel. And she made several phone calls to Eileen asking for her help like to clear her name so she was basically like eileen you have to tell them that i wasn't a part of this and that you did all of this she sucks she's not a good friend um or girlfriend or whatever they were i'm not sure it's it's like um in new girl where schmidt is like this is my mom's work friend and she's like she's my girlfriend i don't really know what they are to each other i love new girl so much side note sorry (laughs) i do too um so three days later, on January 16th, Eileen confessed to the murders, and she claimed that the men, like I said, had tried to rape her, and she killed them in self-defense. And it's like, really? Seven of them? It was seven, seven. right? Seven. Yeah. It was like seven of them. Um, on January 14th, 1992, Eileen went to trial for the murder of Richard Mallory, which was her first victim. And so prior bad acts are normally inadmissible in criminal trials. Like you can't bring up someone's criminal record and be like, well, they did all these bad things. So she yeah. must have done this bad thing. Like you. Yeah. Cause that's irrelevant. Right. Um, but under Florida's Williams rule, the prosecution was allowed to introduce evidence related to her other crimes to show a pattern of illegal activity. So I was Good like, hmm, Okay. Just well, do really, whatever, I mean, Florida. that's helpful, yeah. So, uh, January 27th. Oh, that's the day I got engaged. No, it's not. It was 28th. Anyway. <laughs> Close enough. Do I know my own part. life events? No, I don't. <laughs> Only Eileen's. Uh, <laughs> January 27th, 1992. Eileen was convicted of Richard Mallory's murder with the help from Tyria's testimony. She was like, here's the bus. Eileen, get under it. (laughs) (laughs) Throw yourself under it. (laughs) Great. Thanks. Uh, So at her sentencing, psychiatrist for the defense testified that Eileen was mentally unstable and had been diagnosed with borderline personality. (laughs) Borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder. Which I read that one and I was like, do I have that? <laughs> I might. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, so. <laughs> so many personalities to tell murder stories with. <laughs> so, um, a dog hair on my mouth just now. All right. Nothing new there. 
Anyway. So, four days later, she was sentenced to death. So, that's like, <laughs> real quick. Um, March 31st, 1992, Eileen pled no contest to the murders of Dick Humphreys. Oh, well, that's Charles. He went by Dick. Um, so, Charles Humphreys, Troy Burris, and David Spears, saying that she wanted to, quote, get right with God. Uh, in her statement to the court, she stated, quote, I wanted to confess to you that Richard Mallory did violently rape me, as I've told you, but the uh, these others did not. They only began to start to, end quote. Mm. Yeah, so she's she was basically like, yeah, the first one did, but the rest of them didn't. Mm. So, and Convenient. I mean, honestly, honestly, there's really no way of knowing if that was the truth either. Yeah. Because she was very all over the place. Like, uh, you have got to watch the documentary. Because if you if you watch the documentary, and I I wish I had actually looked up the name of it. That would have been super helpful. Um, what did but you it watch it on? Netflix. It was on Netflix. Okay. Is it? Do you know if it's still there? Hang on. I'm just going to go look real quick because um, I want I want to be able to tell everyone what it's called and... Wow. Okay. Well, so there there were two documentaries. One is called Eileen, Life and Death of a Serial Killer. And the other is called Eileen Warnos, The Selling of a Serial Killer. Okay. Um, I can't remember which one. I think I watched Eileen, The Life and Death of a Serial Killer. But The Selling of a Serial Killer is also, I think I actually watched both of them. And the movie that was uh, made about her is called Monster and Charlize Theron. I don't know if I ever say her name right, but you know who I'm talking about. Uh, she actually plays Eileen in the movie, I think, is who. <laughs> I think that's the actress that plays Again, her. Again, research. I really should do some sometime, but I'm not going to. Anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> look, I did a lot of research just for this story alone. <laughs> so, May 15, 1992, Eileen was given three more death sentences so she's up to four now she's done for like they might as well just go ahead and kill her now i mean i hate to say that but yeah three death sentences i mean she's it's not Uh, gonna get any better than that right so in june 1992 pretty sure that's this no so a month later eileen pled guilty to the murder of charles karskadin uh, and then in November that same year, she got her fifth death death sentence. So her defense counsel, they tried during the trial to introduce evidence that um, her first victim had been tried for intent to commit rape in a different state and that he had been committed to a maximum security correctional facility, again, in a different state. I don't, not important. And that the records that they got from the institution that he was in showed that uh, he was committed for treatment and observation resulting from a criminal charge of assault with intent to rape and received an overall eight years of treatment from the facility. So uh, I think that was basically them trying to argue that. That she was it, telling it the truth the whole entire time. Right. Um, and in 1961, it was observed of uh, his, the first victim was Ma- Mr. Mallory. Um, 
that he had possessed strong sociopathic trends. And the judge refused to allow this evidence to be admitted in court and denied Eileen's request for a retrial. Mm. So, yeah. And then in February 1993, Eileen pled guilty to the murder of Walter Gino Antonio and was sentenced to death yet again. Um, No charges were brought against her for the murder of Peter Seams because his body was never found. So, all in all, she received six death sentences. Wow. That's so crazy. That's a lot. One is a lot. Six is a lot. So, Eileen told a bunch of different stories about all of the killings, and they were super inconsistent. And you see that in the documentaries as well. Um, She... As we've already said, she initially claimed that all of them had raped her while she was working as a sex worker. And then she later recanted the defense of self-defense, basically. And then, uh, so the filmmaker of the documentary, his name is Nick Broomfield. Mm -hmm. When she was in an interview with him for the documentary, she thought the cameras were off and she told him that... It was actually self-defense, but she couldn't stand being on death row because she had been there for 12 years and she just wanted to die. I mean, I probably would, too, after all that. Yeah. So uh, now we are at her execution. So her appeal to the Supreme Court was denied in 1996. And in 2001, she announced that she was not going to issue any further appeals against her death sentences. She... um. Petitioned the Florida Supreme Court for the right to fire her legal counsel and stop all appeals. And she said, quote, I killed those men, robbed them as cold as ice, and I'd do it again, too. There's no chance in keeping me alive or anything because I'd kill again. I have hate crawling through my system. I am so sick of hearing this she's crazy stuff. I've been evaluated so many times. I'm competent, sane, and I'm trying to tell the truth. I'm one who seriously hates human life and would kill again. So. Looney Tune. Yeah, she, I, and that's kind of like the whole point because, I mean, and I'm about to get into this, but basically it's like she was not okay. No, she was mentally unstable, completely mentally unstable. But I think with a lot of people that we talk about, like they are because something crazy has happened in their childhood that they can't recover from, you know? Like, yeah. There's no turning back from, like, your grandfather's best friend getting you pregnant. You know what I mean? Like, you are mentally disturbed after that. And it's no fault of your own. Right. But here's the thing. So, with with people like that, when people are, like, when they're not fit to stand trial, they're not fit to stand trial. They're not supposed to go to trial. They're not supposed, yeah, they're supposed to go get treatment and stuff rather than standing trial so that i mean that's kind of where the justice system really failed her so anyway so florida governor jeb bush instructed three psychiatrists to give eileen a 15 minute interview 15 minutes Mm, that's awful is that really long enough to tell if someone is competent to stand trial no, absolutely not. Literally, like, I'm going to go ahead and be vulnerable right now. I go to counseling. Well, yeah, I go to counseling. And I spend an hour with her, and I still think it's not enough. 
You know what I mean? Like the yeah. 15 minutes is absolutely nothing. Um, especially to determine if someone's like sane enough to stay in trial to determine the rest of their life. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Th- that's why this case is so frustrating because to me, even though she's saying I am competent, I did kill those men. I meant to kill those men. I should die for it. That does not actually, just because she's saying she's competent and understands what she did does not mean that she, she is not mentally ill. Exactly. I mean, I, I think it proves a bigger point of proving that she is mentally ill. So, um, yeah, so basically, Governor Bush told uh, three psychiatrists to give her a 15-minute interview. And the test for competency requires the psychiatrist to be convinced that the, that the person understands that she will die and for what crime she is being executed. That's it. She just has to know that she's going to die. And that she knows what crime she is being executed for. Mm. So, you know, and all three said that she was mentally fit to be executed. Not too sure about that, but okay. Yeah. So, um, Eileen, uh, later started accusing her, I guess, like prison mates of abusing her. She accused them of messing with her food, spitting in it, serving her potatoes cooked in dirt, and her food uh, having, like, pee in it, basically. Mm. Um, she also said that she overheard conversations about, um, quote, trying to get me so pushed over the brink by them, I'd wind up committing suicide before the execution. And, quote, wishing to rape me before execution. She... um also complained about uh, strip searches and being handcuffed so tightly that her wrists bruised anytime she left her cell. Uh, there was door kicking, um, frequent window checks. Um, I don't really know what that is. Low water pressure, which is like my own house has that. So that's, I don't really think that matters. <laughs> but in any hotel, <laughs> there's also low water pressure. <laughs> Um, mildew on her mattress and catcalling in distaste and a pure hatred towards me. That was a quote. And uh, Eileen threatened to boycott showers. Girl, don't don't do that. For the and, sake of all of that prison, please do not do that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so she threatened to boycott showers and food trays when specific officers were on duty. So, actually, I guess she's talking about the officers were the ones that, or I guess just, like, prison employees, not actually, um... Inmates? Yeah, because, well, it it used a weird word, and I don't know what that word means, so... Uh, But I guess it actually means, like, employees. And then, here's another quote. In the meantime, my stomach's growling away, and I'm taking showers through the sink of my cell. So, basically, she was saying, like... So, she was in prison on death row for 12 years, so... her whole time just sucked i guess is what like that whole point was i mean it's prison i don't think it's supposed to be fun and games no it's not uh like a a resort or anything and all inclusive (laughs) yeah so uh eileen was brought into the death chamber on October 9th, 2002 and there was actually conflicting stories here and i could never actually figure out which one was true so 
Some sources said that she had KFC as her last meal and was given a $20 budget. And other stories reported that she rejected a meal altogether and had a cup of coffee instead of eating. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, you ready for her last words? I'm ready to hear it. Because they, I mean, whew, they were all over the place. Um, so her last words before the execution were, quote, yes. <laughs> Starts with just, yes. <laughs> I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. What? I'll be back. What the so, heck? you know, <laughs> is what it is. Oh uh, my God. At 9.47 a.m., Eileen died. She was the 10th woman in the United States to be executed since the Supreme Court lifted the ban on capital punishment in 1976. And she was the second woman ever executed in Florida. And that was the story of Eileen Warnos. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's um, it's a sad one. I feel like so many people failed her in her life. Um, yeah. It goes but, to show like how one thing in your childhood or one thing in your life can screw up a lot of other people's lives too. Well, that's like, it, oh, it freaks me out so bad how um, a common thing with like serial killers is that they had like a head injury as a child. Yeah, you know, and so like something, something like a head injury and boom, you're a serial killer, you know, like that's, that's so scary. So freaking crazy. Yeah. So, all right. All right. You ready for my story? Yeah. Okay. So this is the story that Will wrote for me. So just bear with me on these details. I can't wait to hear Will's story. (laughs) Okay. So, I was kind of on the... I picked this story, and then Will wrote it for me, so it's not like I didn't know what I was telling, so I actually picked it, but it's controversial. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. I'm so bad with my words. It's controversial if it's murder or not. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about as I start talking about it. So... We're going to be in Hartford, Connecticut today. We're Why going do I know to... Hartford? I feel like that's on a TV show. Probably. So, Hartford, Connecticut, we're going to be in the year of 1944, and it is July 6th. Okay? And I am doing the Hartford Circus Fire. I'm you trying to think on? if I know this. You might not. Which makes it even better. I Yeah, I don't think I do. Okay. Good. Because I'm going to tell you about it. Cool. So, Hartford Circus Fire, July 6, 1944, Hartford, Connecticut. And it is considered one of the worst fires in the history of the United States. So, the Ringling Bo- uh, Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus was doing an afternoon performance. And there was 6,000 to 8,000 people in attendance. Wow. Yeah, insane. So later, this is kind of like up in the air, but it's 
Some people say there was 6,000 to 8,000 people there. Some people say that there were 7,000. It's anywhere in between, okay? So just bear with me. Okay. So 167 people were killed and over 700 people were injured. I want to talk about the background. So the background of the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus, they traveled town to town with a huge tent that could seat up to 9,000 people. And this is so insane. So this tent was coated with 1,800 pounds of paraffin wax, which is what is made from, uh, well, candles are made out of this and crayons are made out of this. And how okay. they make it is they dissolve it in 6,000 gallons of gasoline to be waterproofed. So highly flammable. Highly, highly, highly flammable. And they were going to waterproof this tent with this paraffin wax. The 40s were a fun time. Oh, my God. I just, I can't even. I think it was a lot of trials and errors. <laughs> in the 40s, it was like, these are our practice years. Let's just, let's just. Coat this in some highly so material. The tent, the tent was basically a, a giant candle. Exactly. Great. So the circus had been experiencing shortages in personnel and equipment as a result of World War Two. I'm very surprised at how well I said that. I know. I was Anyways. like, I know you have a problem saying that. I <laughs> so, do. So I was really proud, but, right I, but I definitely wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> So two years prior, on August 4th, 1942, a fire had actually killed several animals in the circus. So they knew that fire was going to be an issue for them. They had already experienced it. They should have learned from their lesson or, yeah, learned from their, learned from their experiences, I meant to say. Their mistakes. <laughs> their mistakes. You got it. So on <laughs> July 5th, 1944, the day prior to this fire... Um, two of the afternoon shows were actually canceled. Uh, they were just running really far behind. doesn't really say why, but it was considered really bad luck to miss a performance, but they continued their show. So the next day on July 6th, the day of the fire, the audience was mostly women and children and was estimated to be around 7,000 people. There's that 7,000 number. Because it, it, it was, wait, what day of the week was this? Don't ask me that, because I do not know. Sorry. Well, I'm asking because, so you said it was like a a show like in the afternoon or something? Yes. Yeah, and I'm thinking like if it was a weekday, it makes sense that it was women and children, because I don't think... Like, Men were the, probably like out working and... Right, and the women and like children that. were not. Yeah, they so, were being homemakers. Right, so, so yeah, I was just, uh, that's why I was wondering. Yeah, you're fine. I just don't know what week, and I don't want you to ask me. Okay, thanks. I just really like to quiz you. To see how well I know the story? Maybe you should quiz Will. (laughs) That's true. You didn't write this. (laughs) So the fire began as a small flame on the wall after the lions performed. And apparently, this is so cool to me, the circus band leader, Merle Evans, was said to be the first to spot the flames and immediately directed the band to play the Stars and Tri- Stripes Forever, which actually meant that that was like a distress call to everyone in the circus. So they would all know that like something was going on, but then the, the people that were attending as guests wouldn't know, you know? I just oh. thought that was so smart to play that and everybody would be like, oh my God, something's going on. 
Yeah, because, I mean, well, I was about to say, like, why don't you let the people know so they can escape? But then I was like, well, then it probably would have turned into, like, a stampede. Chaos. And people would have been trampled. Yeah. And, yeah. So, the, I mean, on their part, I feel like that was really smart. I would have it's, never really thought of that. Yeah, it's a real lose-lose situation. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, Ringmaster Fred Bradna, it's B-R-A-D-N-A, so I'm going to call it Bradna, urged yeah. the audience not to panic until even an orderly fashion, but the power failed and he was not heard as the audience attempted to flee the tent. Sucks, sucks, sucks. Yeah, it does. So, <laughs> only the... The only animals in the tent at the time were the lions, who were escorted out and were unharmed except for a few minor burns. Witnesses say some people simply ran in circles trying to find their loved ones instead of trying to escape. And some escaped but ran back inside to look for family members. Others stayed in their seats until it was too late, assuming the fire would already be put out. Oh, my God. I don't know why, but I just had a flashback to Titanic when, like, where people were like, they were like, it's fine. We'll get off the boat later. It's like, exactly. no, you'll drown. Exactly. It, I mean, it's it's an awful, awful picture inside of your head. Yeah. So, to this day, the cause of the fire remains unsolved. But I want to go into some scenarios of why this happened and some people that might have caused this to happen. And some people some who... theories. Yes. Some people who had died in the fire, unfortunately. So... Investigators believe that it might have been a flick cigarette. However, other suspect or others suspected that it might have been an arsonist. Didn't say that very well either, but just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I think I should go to like a speech therapist or something. <laughs> so, um, so actually, like side note, I'm going to trail off for a minute. I had braces at one time, and I have like a really bad tongue tongue thrust, which means that like my tongue is ultimately too large for my mouth which is really stupid if you think about it what even i know so it like pushes up against my like top teeth and i had braces and so they had to put this thing in my mouth that was like this metal wire thing that it looked like an m inside of your mouth and i think that that has a lot of like a lot of a lot of stuff to do with why I talk the way that I do and why I stumble on my words so much is because I never really learned how to talk with that thing and it never really did the job that it was supposed to. So here you are reaping all of the, um, what do you call it? Not the benefits, but I was about to say, I I only know about reaping benefits. I don't know. So what, su- suffering the consequences of it not suffering. working? I don't, yes, I don't know. exactly. So just bear with me. <laughs> I've never even heard of that before. Oh, it was awful. I had a list for like two months. It was awful. People would make fun of me. Like it was, it was horrible. And I was in eighth grade and that's just no seventh grade. And that's just a time where like, you're supposed to have friends. And I just didn't. And it was probably because I had a lisp. Anyways. I remember, oh my God, this is totally off topic, but you just reminded me of this. Um, I remember like in elementary school, it was like, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but like, it was almost cool if you had braces because it was like at a certain age, you got braces. And so like, it almost seemed like you were older if you Mm -hmm. had braces in elementary school, even though like, I mean, that's not how it works. You, you have braces when you have jacked up teeth, like, (laughs) So, yes. you know, um, and I had braces twice. So that's not me like picking on people with braces. So I had the first time I had braces, I had eight braces. I had four on the top, four on the bottom. 
and it was fifth grade. I and I remember, right now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know, right? Oh, it was a terrible time. And then I got a full set of braces in middle school. Um, and I really want to do like some kind of like aligner now because my teeth. Are yeah, shifted. me too. But that's besides the point. Anyway, so I remember like so like the it was like the cool kids had braces or whatever, which is the dumbest thing in the world. And I remember I was telling this guy that I had a crush on. I was like, I'm getting braces, and I think you should like thought, me more. Yeah, I'm about <laughs> to be hot shit. <laughs> Wait till you see all this metal work in my mouth. <laughs> I'm and this list when we make have. out later. <laughs> it was oh my, there was no making out. I was in elementary school. Oh shit! I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was like, please don't insinuate that. Um. Anyway, so uh, I was like, yeah, I'm getting braces, and he was like, no, you're not. You're lying. And then the mm-hmm. next week, I like rolled into into school with braces, and I like like shot a smile at him, and I was like, you see all this? You see all this metal? <laughs> and then you I, had to like turn your I head lying. and put on your. Put on your wax on your braces because they were cutting was, your mouth. Yes. And like, oh, my God, the worst was when like your lip got stuck on, on one, like one of the braces. On the top one. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is painfully hurting me. My yeah. mouth still has scars from braces. I can feel them. It's awful. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But I just I don't know that, why that made me think of like like when braces were like considered like a cool thing to have. And the, the coolest yeah, okay, thing was anyway. picking out your colors. Anyways, we're back. On a tangent. <laughs> We're back. We're back. Here we kind are. Of. Back into the story, you guys. All right. So where was I at? Okay. So investigators believe that it might have been like a flick cigarette. However, other suspected an arsonist. God, I did better that time. You so nailed several, it. Oh, God. Several years later, while being investigated on another arson charge, Robert Del Siege who was 16 at the time, confessed to starting the fire, and he was never tried for the crime and later recanted his confession like everybody in the whole entire world does after they say that they've done that. (laughs) Okay, so because of this highly, highly flammable paraffin wax that was covering the tent, the flames spread so quickly, and experts said that the tent could have reached over 1,500 degrees. Ooh, that's hot. That's so hot. And this is like the only I mean, worst Yeah, like part. fire's hot. <laughs> yeah, but you're like in a contained space almost. Um, so this is like the worst part and it makes me cringe when I like when I read it, I was like, Oh my god. Is it so, sad? A little bit. I mean it uh. just picturing it in your head. So many people were badly burned because the paraffin, which got hot and ultimately melted was like raining down on people from the roof. Oh no. That's so awful. I don't so, like that at all. From the time Oh my gosh, f- wait. <laughs> I have one other story. <laughs> okay, oh my god, go for it. We're just full of stories today. I don't know why our stories today are just sparking all these memories, but I remember one time my family and I we went to like a house party at our neighbor's house, like down the street. And, uh, like I was a kid and I was just doing like stupid kid stuff. And I was like sitting, I guess they had like a little like kids table. Well, it had a candle on it. And, uh, but it was like, it was just wax. It wasn't lit anymore. It was just like melted wax. And I thought that it was cheese dip. And me, (laughs) <laughs> me being the um, 
me being the disgusting child that I was, I was like, I'm just going to put my finger in it and like, <laughs> <Wicked. laughs> and I put my finger in hot wax because I wanted cheese dip, which is just true to form, really. But yeah, I love queso. I love queso. I love queso too. I loved it so much. I burned my finger. <laughs> Oh my God, Brittany. Oh my Sorry. God. I don't know. Sorry. It was just the wax reminded me of the time that I thought I was about to eat queso. The wax was cheesed up. God. Okay. So yeah. Sorry, from the time here. you're back, we're sorry. back again. God. Back, back again. Okay. So from the time that the fire broke out to the time that the tent collapsed was eight minutes. Um, and apparently, this day was called the day the clowns cried because there was a picture of a clown. His name is Emmett Kelly holding a water bucket. So that day became the day that the clowns cried. I don't really like that. Me neither. It's a little weird It sounds like a horror movie. It makes me feel like weird inside. Anyways. So <laughs> sources, <laughs> sources differ on that. Was a, that was a weird way to say it. It makes me feel so weird inside. So sources differ on how. <laughs> Stop making me laugh. I'm trying to Sorry. tell my story. Damn it. Get serious. Go. Okay. Serious. Serious face in three, two, one. Okay. Sources differ <laughs> on how many people were killed or injured because there was somewhere between 167 and 169 with the official treated injuries, estimating over 700. The actual injuries were thought to be higher since many people were headed home in shock without even going to the hospital to seek treatment. Oh, yeah. So one common theory is the number of fatalities is higher than the estimated due to a poorly kept residency record in the rural towns and some smaller remains were never identified or claimed. Um, so it was also believed that due to the intense heat combined with the accelerants, the gas and wax, that some people were incarcerated, com- incarcerated, <laughs> incinerated. What? <laughs> some people were locked in a prison. <laughs> oh, I feel bad for laughing right now. They were incinerated. Okay, that's not funny, but I totally that's read that horrific. as incarcerated incinerated completely okay i'm serious that's so sad that's horrific honestly so and then so besides the fact of people being burned to death some died from injuries sustained from jumping from the bleachers in hopes of escaping under the sides of the tent and this method actually killed more people than it saved wow died yeah isn't that crazy was it the was it the jumping down that killed them yes yeah isn't that crazy? I guess, like, they probably hit their head or something. Um, oh, that sucks. Yeah. So others died from being trampled with some asphyxiating underneath piles of people who fell over on top of each other. And cue in Will's reference to Game of Thrones that I will not get, but Brittany will get because they are just obsessed with it. He this said, is going to be like, embarrassing if I don't get it. <laughs> like the Battle of the Bastards. <gasps> Oh, that, okay, Ansley, when you get to that scene, you are going to have the worst anxiety. It's going to feel like you can't breathe. Okay. I felt like I couldn't breathe when I was watching it. I was like, this scene has to end right now. There was Will's little entry moment, three second of fame. Thank you, Will, for that Game of Thrones Easter egg. 
<laughs> so oh, most and studies. Easter's tomorrow. Oh my god. So um, most bodies I'm were so found. Relevant. You are so relevant. <laughs> most bodies were found near the exit. Some um, three bodies deep. Some were found um, alive. Actually, some were found alive at the bottom of the piles, protected by the bodies on top of them when the burning tent ultimately collapsed. I would hope that I was one of those. If I got trapped, I hope I'm that one, not the one that's dead under everybody else. Yes, I mean, that sucks. So on July 7th, 1944, five officials and employees of the Ringling Brothers were charged with involuntary manslaughter. Within days of these charges being filed, the circus reached an agreement with Hartford officials to accept full financial responsibility and pay whatever the city requested in damages, which go for you. The circus ended up paying almost $5 million, which is actually equivalent to $14 million today, and um, to the 600 victims and the families who filed claims against them by 1954. Hmm. So... Um, the circus actually accepted financial responsibility, but not for the disaster itself. The five men charged were brought to trial in 1944, and four were convicted and given prison terms. They were still allowed to continue with the circus onto their next stop in Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> and shortly after their convictions, they were all pardoned. Which, don't ask me how, don't ask me why, because I don't freaking know. <laughs> okay. So some of these, one of these men, James A. Haley, went on to serve in the U.S. House of Representatives for 24 years. Wow. Side note, that was a quick little side note. Fun in fact. 1950, Robert Seagy, the guy, you remember the 16-year-old that claimed that he had started the fire and then later uh -huh. recanted? Yeah. So he claimed during the police interview that he was responsible for the fire. He signed a statement admitting to settling or not settling, setting the circus fire, a series of other fires too, and several murders since his childhood. Great all around, right? Yeah. Lovely. Lovely kid. Yeah. So Siki was actually in charge of the construction of the tents and claimed that he had a nightmare in which an American Indian riding a flaming horse told him to set fire to the tent. Uh, he did drugs. Yeah, he was on some <laughs> crack or something. He did drugs. <laughs> so, Sigi stated that after his nightmare, his mind went blank, and by the time it cleared, the circus fire had already been set. Drugs. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> Hope no kids are listening to this, God. November 1950, C.E. was convicted of unrelated arson and charged and sentenced to 44 years. Hartford investigators had doubts over his conf confession as he had a history of mental illnesses, probably brought on by drugs, and it cannot be proven he was anywhere within the state of Connecticut when the fire occurred. So then wow. let's fast forward to 1944, and he had fully denied setting fire to the tent. He's still on drugs. <laughs> Anyways. So let's talk about some of the victims. So the most known victim was a young blonde girl wearing a white dress known as Little Miss 1565. It, which what? They, they like 
they called her Little Miss 1565. And that's because, like, they assigned the bodies that they found numbers. Oh. And that was her number. So they just called her Little Miss 1565. And um, so she was buried without a name in Hartford's Northwood Cemetery, where a victim's memorial also stands. Despite massive publicity and repeated displays of the photo in nationwide magazines, she was never claimed. Aww. But, so her grave was actually decorated by police, Thomas Barber and Edward Lowe, and they would put out, um, the, actually, those were the people that took the photograph of her and, like, made it public to try to get her named um, or to claim her to see if someone would claim her remains. So they would go and decorate it on Memorial Day and July 6th and Christmas every single year. And after both of the, after Thomas Barber and Edward Lowe, the two police officers, after they, after they died, a local flower company continued to decorate her grave. So Aw, that's really nice. I know. So. I like that. Um, in 1991, the body was declared to be that of Eleanor Emily Cook despite the fact that her aunt and uncle had already examined the body and thought that, like, that wasn't her. Um, and then they got some, the Connecticut State Police Forensics Unit got some DNA, so hair samples from her family, and compared it back to um, the body, and it was determined to probably be from the same person. Again, this is 1991, and they didn't really have any, you know, right. DNA ex- accessible things. Okay, so in 2002, the Hartford Circus Fire Memorial Foundation was established to erect a permanent memorial to the people killed in the fire, which good for you. I like that. Anyways, the Ringling yeah. Brothers Barnum and Bailey visited Hartford during its final tour putting on its final Hartford performance on April 30th, 2017. And I want to go ahead and say uh Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus is no longer a thing, and it closed down or it, they stopped touring in May of 2017. Yep. So the five there's five un, unidentified victims that lie in the cemetery, remembered only by the numbers that the town had given them in their makeshift morgue. Um, and on their gravestones it says their identity known but to God. Mm-hmm. So um, now in current present time, Chief State Medical Examiner James Gill is seeking to have at least two of the bodies exhumed in hope in hopes of answering a question that has haunted the families about who these people are. So Raymond Erickson apparently survived the fire and his disappearance from the local hospital is among the strangest stories from the circus fire. So after being found outside of the tent with just burn injuries to his face and neck, his uncle Stanley took him to the hospital. Erickson was put in a room on the fourth floor, and his uncle went to go find a priest to issue last rites since his nephew was gravely injured, and he really didn't think that he was going to survive. Right. So as his uncle Stanley is gone to go find this priest, he comes back, and um, Erickson's gone. Like, the little boy's completely gone. And they found, yeah, family members found Raymond's shoes, so Erickson's shoes, with his socks tucked inside of them in a box of the victim's belongings at the hospital where there was also no other trace of him. So 
They're saying investigators are like, there's many errors that were probably made during this in identifying some of the victims and someone else must have claimed Raymond as their own child. So really nobody knows if he died or if he was claimed by another family or anything, which that's so freaking crazy. But I guess because he had so much like burns, so might just yeah. assumed. Um, that's so creepy. Yeah, so the two other missing women are Edith Brederick, 38, from East Hartford, and Lucille, Lucille Woodward, 55. Um, and Brederick was wearing a wedding band engraved with her initials, and she was still, like, never found. More than uh-huh. 200 people followed the procession to Northwood Cemetery to bury the unknown victims. Since no one um, knows the denomination of the victims, a Catholic priest, a rabbi, and a minister from the local congregational church offered prayers. Oh, so that's crazy because from 1944 to now, like there's still like nobody knows who those people are, which I would have remembered if my family member didn't come home. You know, it's just yeah. crazy that like people are still un- unidentified after all these years. Like you sit there and wonder like, what happened to so-and-so, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just think that's crazy or weird to think that. Nobody's been missing them, which is also very, very sad. Yeah. So that is the Hartford Circus Fire, which might be murder, might not be, but it's still crime if it's arson. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh, God. That was was a good story. story. It was good, though. Thanks. Yours is really good, too. Two totally different things. We normally don't do that. Yeah. We were really on. Oh, it's because Will picked. Well, Will didn't pick your story, but. Yeah. He had something to do with it. So maybe he threw off our mojo. Yeah. Our alike mojo. Okay. So I heard that next week we aren't doing a murder. We're not. Which is kind of exciting. Really excited about this episode because I feel like we could talk on and on about it. I know. I kind of like that we are kind of branching out and doing um, still true crime related things, but not necessarily structured like these episodes where we do two stories, you know? Um, Yeah. I like the mixture of things where we just kind of we're doing what's with the times and, you know, I don't know, just something different. It's not we the just same. We go like with to the throw flow. some stuff out there. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, is that it? Subscribe, rate, review, follow us on Instagram at True Crime Girl Time Podcast and on Twitter at TCGT Podcast. And I, I think, think that's, that's it. it. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week on episode 11. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.